here with you. Uh, how many of you are happy to be here today? That's what we like to hear. Um, that's about a quarter of you. The other, ha- the other three quarters of you, we're thankful that you are here still as well. The rest of us are thankful that you are here. And um, I, I hope that you enjoyed your morning so far here with our group. It is always great to have so many up here um, leading us. We are so thankful for that. Hey, uh, as we move into this week of um, Thanksgiving, I, I hope that you are excited and you are looking forward to celebrating Thanksgiving with friends, family, whatever it may be. Um, I just want to say, I, I want to start off this morning just by saying thank you to each one of you, to so many of you over this uh, past year, uh, your kindness, uh, your encouragement, um, the help that so many of you offer. You know, you see so much help around the building all the time. I'm thankful to that. I'm thankful to those of you that are here that you, you've, you've uh, given some cards. You've said thank you. Um, you've been an encouragement to me over the last year, and I say thank you for that. Even as a church, as you progress, uh, as we've gone through this process together, moving towards the coming of, our, of, of your new campus pastor. We're excited about that. I hope you are excited about that, and I say thank you to each one of you. As I say that, um, one of the things that I want to do, since it is a week of Thanksgiving, you always want to be kind and, um, to each one of you. So I thought giving a kiss, I know I've joked about this before, but I thought giving a kiss would be a good way to do that. After all, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, thank you. One person realizes that it's scriptural. All right, it's, it's scriptural. What, what's the matter with the rest of you? Come on. Um, if Paul said it, it's, it's good. But anyway, um, since, since the whole COVID thing, I didn't think my, me greeting you with a holy kiss was a good idea. So this morning as you go out, um, we do have these nice little kisses instead. Um, but it's a way for me to uh, give each one of you a kiss for the week, right? Um, there we go, Tom. See, absolutely. Right, for the, for the week and, give, and get that to you there. Um, I don't want to be the creepy old man up front, so that, that just take that as a little bit of fun. That sometimes is, but hey, enjoy a little bit of chocolate. Thank you so much to each one of you, and uh, glad to have you here. The other thing, um, Todd, I just gave you those because I might need your help in a little bit. I forgot to bring my glasses in with me this morning, so if I need, if I need the help for you, will you hold this for me so that I can read it? I can read it if you hold it. I can't read it if I hold it, I don't think, but uh, we'll, we'll see, and we might, be all, we might be all right there. So... Enough of my stand-up comedy, which isn't very good, which obviously you don't like very well. Uh, we are in week five of this series that we are calling Exodus, right? And we are walking through the book. We are taking a very fast walk through the book of Exodus, right? It's not anything that we, are taking, uh, that we have taken a lot of time on, but rather it's something that we're, you are taking that little fly through the book of Exodus. Why? Because even as that intro says, it's kind of, it's kind of shows the human story, right? It shows yours and my story. Right, um, in, in the sense that, guess what, we were captives to sin, and we're going to take a look at that in a little bit. But as we've gone through this message series in Exodus, I hope, I hope that it has encouraged you in your walk with Christ, right? but I hope that it has encouraged each one of you to look and to have compassion on those around us as well through this process. Why? Because we've got a sin issue, and guess what? If I have a sin issue, what do I know about others around me? They probably have a sin issue as well. Now, if you're really good, if you're really, if you're really righteous, like, um, like some of us, right, then you know that the people around us, they have the bigger sin issue, but mine's not as big, right? That's, see, that's the tendency that we start to look at, and hopefully we realize, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're all caught. We're all trapped. We're all stuck in this thing called 
a sin issue. But as we take a look at, at this book of Exodus, I want to go back, and we're going to just pick up a few things from where we started and move through it. And uh, week one, we started with this very idea that, um, that, we, that we need to know. I am looking up here at our first slide there. Uh, can you hit that first slide for me for a minute? We're going to be in a little bit of trouble, I think, here. But anyway, let me, let, me just go with, let me just go with this. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul gave us some insight into, into the idea that what we are looking at is uh, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, we are told in chapter 6 that Paul goes through the story. And as he goes through the story of, of uh, telling about old times, of ancient times, he goes through the very story that there is this idea that we are individuals, as individuals, we are, these stories that Paul has given, they are given to us as reminders. And Paul, he's telling the story of Exodus back there, and as he goes through that story telling that, he, he gives us the, the illustrations of what took place in Exodus, and he wants us to know that we as individuals, all right, we as individuals, these things are written down. Paul wrote them so that we would know. If I can just take a pause for just one second, I'm going to hit a pause um, I'm just going to talk to my booth back there. There is actually another slide set in there that has my name on it. If you could pull that up, that would be, uh, that would be, even, uh, that would be even better and a lot more helpful there this morning. But if not, that is okay too. We will, we will go and we will do well as it is. But there is another. Thank you very much. So as they do that and they move that, so as we went through this book of Exodus, I, I just want to remind you that Paul, right, Paul gives us that insight. So these things aren't just things that were written 3,500 years ago, but rather they are things that Paul said, hey, they are still applicable to the New Testament church, to the church at Corinth. And he said, we want you to be aware. We want you to know and be ready for this. <coughs> so as we go back, as we go back, the whole problem for us started. Where did it start? It started in Genesis chapter 3. You see, God created a world where there was perfection. And Adam and Eve show up, all right? And as they are created, all of a sudden, they are thrown in the Garden of Eden. Now, you're not all of a sudden thrown in the Garden of Eden, but they are created in perfection and in the Garden of Eden. And, this, and Satan, all right, that serpent of old, comes and he distracts them. And he says to Eve, hey, take a look at this. Did God really say? And the challenge happens. And our sin issue begins in chapter 3 of Genesis. We are broken. We are individuals who have fallen. We are individuals who have fallen down. Why? Because of Genesis chapter 3. Moving forward throughout the book of Genesis, when we get to Genesis chapter 12, God calls, God calls to Abram, all right, a man named Abram at that time, and says, Abram, I want you to come with me. You are going to come, and you are going to join with me. I am calling you out of your land, and I am going to call you to another place, and I am going to make you somebody that is a great nation. I am going to give you land. I am going to give you seed, which is people, and I am going to, you are going to be a blessing to the rest of the world. That is what took place all the way back in Genesis, moving us forward as we go through the story, moving us towards Exodus. So with Abraham, God calls him. And when he calls him, he says, now listen, Abraham, I want you to know that your people, my people, you are going to be enslaved for 400 years in a land that is outside of the land that I am calling you to. But at the end of that time, I will bring you out. You are going to come out a strong and mighty people, and I will deliver you. This is years, all right? Years, generations before this is going to occur where God calls his, calls his person, Abram, I want you to know that I am going to bring 
you out. And in so doing, God says, look, I will deliver you. I will deliver my people from you. Thank you so much. Right there is our verse from 1 Corinthians. Um, You can jump to the next one as well. All right, right there we have Abraham, right? And God promises, gives that promise of land, seed, and blessing. Thank you so much back there, everybody. Thank you. But the verse right there, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated. But there was that statement there, but I, God will step in, right? I will step in and I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. You see, they were captive. They were individuals that became captive by God and in becoming captive by, excuse me, not captive by God, but rather captive by by the nation of Egypt. They were enslaved. They were individuals that were held there. All right. And the comparison for us today is that we were born. When you were born, you were born into sin. All right. We're not as bad as we could be, right? As a matter of fact, some of us, we look around and we say, well, I'm not as bad as the person down the aisle from me. Remember that, right? We look and we say, I'm not as bad as the person across the street. I'm not as bad as the person that says that he goes to church every week and every, and I only show up every once in a while. And we look, but, but we are still captive to sin. And the story of the nation of Israel was this. It was found in Exodus chapter 1. You see, after they had gone down there, there was a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing. And when he came to power in Egypt, they put slave masters over the children of Israel, over this offspring, over the seed of Abraham. And in so doing, they were oppressing them and with forced labor. And this is the role that into which God chose, chose Moses to step into and say, Moses, you are going to deliver my people. And this is the beginning of Exodus. Remember Moses, he looked around and said, God, you got the wrong person, right? I'm doing well. Plus, I'm roughly 80 years old at this time. My retirement account's doing well. Go choose somebody else, get them. But that was this point where he was looking at a bush that didn't burn up. Remember, we talked about that. And, and as we went through that process, Moses there like, this is amazing and astounding. But God wanted this to be known. He said, I will take you as my own people. And he's talking to a nation of Israel. They're not even a nation yet. They are a group of slaves that Moses is going to go back and deliver. But they are 600,000 men plus women and children. So they're one point, however many million people strong. Slaves in Egypt. That is all they have known in all of their life. And yet God is at work and he's saying, I am going to deliver you. And what does he say? Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You see, God did the choosing. He chose his people. He chose Abram back in Genesis chapter 12. He's choosing Moses to go and lead. He is choosing Israel, the descendants of Jacob, as his people, as his nation. And what is he going to do? He is going to redeem them unto himself. He is there like, I will redeem them. I will redeem these people for me. And he continues on. Actually, the verse right before that one we just looked at said these words here. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. You see, God was in the process of taking his people and choosing them and redeeming them. Why? For himself. Why? Because he wanted a nation of people that he was going to use to bring honor and glory to him. 
He wanted the world to know, right? He not only wanted them to know, but Pharaoh, remember, we looked at it last week. By the way, I keep saying remember, and I apologize. If you were a first-timer this morning, hopefully as I bring you through this, we are getting up to speed on it. But I'd also encourage you, you could go online and listen to the previous messages of this. You can listen to them uh, on, at, at Bridgewater at our, uh, at our website. They are there and available for you to look at as well if you want to be brought up to speed as to where we are. You're coming in at the end of this series, but hopefully it's been a good series to encourage each one here. So I say that just as a disclaimer as I continually say, if you remember, remember. Well, some of you are like, no, we don't remember. We weren't here last week, so talk to me for a little bit. So this message as we go forward is for all of us as we come together there. All right, God sustained his people. As they came out of the nation of Egypt, God said, I will sustain you and I will care for you. You see, they came out, and when they come out of Egypt, God allowed them to plunder the Egyptians by asking them, hey, we'd like your silver, we'd like your gold, we'd like to take whatever it is you have. And the Egyptians said, go, take it, here you go, Get, go take whatever you want. Once they got out of the land of Egypt, Pharaoh decided, you know what, let me chase you down, let me go after you. And the nation of Israel, they're standing with the Red Sea in front of them and with the Egyptian army behind them, and all of a sudden God says, let me part the waters for you, and across they go, and they are free, and they make it through God has provided for them. But they get to the other side, and what do they do? They complain. Why? Because they're in a desert. And what do you need when you're in a desert? Water. But there was no water, and they complain. God, why did you bring us out here? Moses, what did you bring us out here for? Were there not enough graves back in Egypt? Weren't we better off back there where we had food, where we had water? Now we're out here. God provides water for them. The same situation with the same situation occurred with them with food. They're looking for food. There's not enough food, and God provides food for them. And you see, God doesn't remove us from real life. And many of us know that because you go through difficulties. We go through struggles. And we look around and we say, God, what, what are you doing? What's happening here in my life? And God is sustaining us through that. Sometimes it feels like he gives us more than we can bear, doesn't he? Doesn't it? And yet God walks us with us. He walks through it with us. And he sustains, he upholds us. Doesn't mean that life is easy. Doesn't mean that all goes well. Doesn't mean that it's always, that it's always sunny and, and, uh, and roses. Did you notice I almost said cloudy? I live in Binghamton, you just automatically say that, don't you? It's cloudy. Oh, oh no, that's all right. There's a sun up there that we like, right? Um, it doesn't mean that it's always sunny. God sustains us through our life. And we can be thankful. We can rejoice in that. Which brings us to this morning, we are commissioned. And you see, you and I, we are commissioned. God was calling his people, why? Because he was making a name for himself. He wanted people to realize that I am the Lord your God. He said that to the children of Israel. He said that, hey, Pharaoh is going to be aware that I am God. The Egyptians are going to be aware that I am God. And these people that I am bringing out, these slaves that I'm pulling out, they are going to be aware that I am God. So as they get out and they're in the desert, this is how it goes. Exodus chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, I would encourage you to turn there and bring that up. But Exodus chapter 19, it says this right here. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, Moses is so good, he gives detail, he wants us to know. This is the third month. We are out of Egypt for the third month. And on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After, that, after they set out from uh, Rephidim, they entered into the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. 
Then Moses went, to God, went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you out to myself. The significance of that, God carrying him on eagle's wings, carrying his children, bringing them out, protecting them. All right, I guess the idea there is, if I understand correctly, as an eagle teaches its young how to fly, if I understand correctly, they almost fly underneath it so that if that eagle starts to fall, they're there there to catch it. They're able to catch it and uphold it. And that is what God is bringing his children out. He's bringing them out and he's saying, listen, you are my people. Now, if you obey me fully, fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. That is what they are called for. That is what they are called to do. Let me just give you a little flashback as we read through that passage right there. There's a flashback right here. Back to Exodus chapter 3. And God said, this is God speaking to Moses at that burning bush, all right? And he's saying this at that burning bush. All these, actually it's just months earlier. I wanted to say years earlier, but it's months early. All that has taken place over this period of time. But God said this to Moses back at the burning bush. I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses is back to the location where God spoke to him those months earlier. Why? God is saying, look, I am a God who will do what it is that I said that I will do. And that is a promise that he gave to Moses. Look, I'm bringing you right back here. You're going to be back here. Do you you think Moses thought that? Some of the times as he was going through the different battles with Pharaoh, when he's saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened, saying, nope, they're not going to leave. Do you think Moses thought that when he's standing at the Red Sea, and he's looking at it, and he's like, what are we going to do? But he knew God would provide. And they come back out, and God has delivered him. He has brought him back to the location. Our God is faithful. And Moses, in following him, we get what is our very first point that we want to look at this morning, and it's this. We flourish under God's law. How many of you think we flourish any, under any law? No way, we don't flourish under law. I want freedom, right? Think about that. From the youngest time, from the moment you're, you're small, from the moment you're born, what are you trying to do? You're trying to roll over. Six months, you're working on rolling over. Eight months, right? Nine months, 10 months, what are you doing? You're looking to get up. 11 months, you're looking to walk. 12, 13, 14 months, whatever it is, you're looking to walk. Then what are you trying to do? Then you're trying to run. Guess what? Then all of a sudden you learn how to ride a bike when you're 5, 6, 7, 14, whatever age it is that you learn to ride your bike. And then what are you doing? You're trying to get away again. 16 comes, mom, dad, give me the keys and whoo, life is free and I am gone. 18, let me get to college because I need my freedom from home, right? Um, No, college, there's too much work here. I got to get out of college and graduate and get a job. Why? So that I can have my freedom so that I can go do what it is that I want to do. Wait a minute, these bosses put rules on me and I got to show up if I want to pay the bills and I got to do work. Did you follow all that? I just went through 22 years and 22 seconds of life. Did you realize that? Huh? You listened fast. You did a great job with that right there, all right? You, you were listening up. Right? That's what we want. We want to get free. We don't want to be under law. And yet God says, listen, under my law is where you will flourish. You will do well. 
right? We can flourish under the law of God. We don't like laws. So what do we tend to do? We reject them, right? And when it's the law of God, God, did you really say this? I've got a better idea. I really don't think that's a good idea. And then what do we do once we reject the laws of God and we choose not to do them? We do our own thing. And then what I say, whoa, 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 don't judge me. God doesn't judge. I'm okay. I mean, God can be every, anything to anybody, and you can't, well, you can't really complain about the way I live. Look at the way I live my life. I'm, I'm all right. And you see, God's okay with me because God is love. And yet God said, no, I, I've given law. Why? I've given you law. So why? why? So that you can flourish so that I know what's best for you. We don't all recognize this at the time. But when we're growing up, who has our best interests at heart? Our parents. Right? We don't always realize that. And, and, and forgive me if that was not the story of your life, all right? But I, but I believe of most parents, they try to do the best they can with what they have, with what they understand. And they have your best interests at heart. And we grow up, but we don't always see that. And you see, God is over us. And God sees and he says, let me help you out here. I will, you will flourish if you do what I say. And we are just like that all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. No, I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to I stick back here. But not only do we do that, all right, if we don't flourish, some of us, excuse me, those of us that aren't the rule breakers and try to run away, some of us, we become self-righteous instead, right? We become full of ourselves. We become righteous. And what do we become? We become really good at being law keepers. And when we become self-righteous, what are we really good at? Looking down on others. Saying, you know what? I thank you, Lord, that I am not like this publican here. But rather I fast twice a week. I give of all that I have to God, and I come and I pray here on a regular basis, as opposed to the publican who just merely looked down, beat his chest, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the words of Jesus were, he was the one, right? The publican, the, the sinner, was the one that walked away blessed that day. You see, some of us, we just follow, we, we want to break rules. Others of us, we want our self-righteousness to show through. You see, we get stuck and we ask, is God's plan really best for me? David in the Psalms wrote these words right here. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Look at that, refreshing, wisdom. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Think about that. Each one of those terms right there, right? Law, statutes, precepts, command. They're all referencing the same thing. They're all referencing the law of God. That is what is being used there as, as David is going through this psalm, Psalm 19, and saying these words. And he continues on and he says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees, again, back to that idea of law, are of the Lord, are firm, and all of them are righteous. Are our decrees always, always righteous? Are my decrees as an individual always righteous? Sometimes they're self-serving, right? 
Sometimes they're condemning. Sometimes I'm throwing guilt. Sometimes I get, no, no, not God. His decrees, they're firm, but they're righteous. And as he closes this passage right here, as he finishes up right here, he says, they, and that they there is referring to all the times he has mentioned the law of God, whether it's law, statutes, precepts, all right, decrees. They are more precious than gold, yea, than much fine or much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey from a honeycomb. And David continues by saying, by then, by them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Isn't that amazing? The law of God given, why? So that we can flourish, right? And the psalmist, as he is going through this, David, a man who has great insight into life. David, was he perfect? Far from it. As a matter of fact, David, you were worse than we were. Do you know that, David? But yet he has these words for us. David called a man after God's own heart. You see, we flourish when we realize that the blessings of God are not found outside the boundaries of God. Now, I realize that there are general blessings of God, correct? The grace of God is all around. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. But the blessings in our life, the fulfillment, the fulfillment of a blessed life is found where it is found when we are it, does, it is not found when we are outside the boundaries of God, but rather when we are found inside the boundaries of God. If you're having difficulty seeing that through the psalmist and you're thinking, well, that's just, that's for Old Testament times, all right? That's for Old Testament times. Um, Randy Alcorn, a Christian writer and a pastor, writes it, writes it and says it this way, Satan's greatest, Satan's greatest victory and our biggest defeats come when he gets us to ask, should I choose what God commands me or should I do what is best for me? Have you ever been there? Yeah, I've been there, right? I don't word it that way because I've been in church enough to know that you don't word it that way, right? I've been in church long enough to know that, well, God's will for me might be this, because you see, once I say God's will for me, you guys, you, you can't argue that because it's God's will for me, and, and that's perfectly fine, right? I, I can word that, and I've been around Christianity enough to, to know that, but sometimes people didn't grow up in Christianity. They see this, and they understand it better. Those of us that have grown up in it, we sometimes miss it because we have this Christian language that we know how to use, right? Christianese, and we talk that way sometimes. Should I choose what God commands me, or should I do what is best for me? Randy Alcorn continues on by saying this, the very framing of the question shows how badly we are deceived. We will not consistently choose God's way until we come to understand that his ways are always the best way. That's a lifetime of work, isn't it? I mean, let me help you out. I know that God's ways are best for all of you. But you don't know my situation, right? See, my situation changes a little bit. And like, I, like I've mentioned before, right? God, let me just help you out a little bit, right? You, you don't understand. Let me, let me just give you a little bit so that you can understand what it is. Oh, you see, God's ways are best. And sometimes we just miss it. And sometimes we fall down on that. Sometimes it's not even intentional. Sometimes it is intentional. Sometimes it's just, ah, I blew it again, right? 
That, that's our walk. That's us. Why? Because we're captive. We were captive by sin. And even when God delivers us, we get out in the desert and we look around and, God, there's not enough water. That's us. We're just like that. So what was it that he said back in uh, verse 5 of chapter 19? He said this right here. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out, of, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. And he says, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. What is God saying? You will be my chosen people. So not only do we flourish under God's law, but God has saved us for his mission. We are saved for the mission that God has. You see, they will be a nation chosen as priests. And why is he choosing them as priests? He wants them to realize that they will be that kingdom of priests for his holy nation. It's important for them to realize that. Why? Because God's are like, I want you to proclaim my message to all. We were delivered from this prison, right? We were delivered from sin, this prison of sin, to proclaim the message of deliverance. God moved in. He worked into your life, into my life. Why? So that we could proclaim. You see, with the nation of, uh, with the nation of Israel, God's chosen land, I, I, I believe this, and I believe this from back with Abraham, God put them right in the middle of the then-known world. You have the Babylonian Empire to the east. You have the Assyrians a little bit to the northeast. You have the Egyptians at the time of Abraham down to the south. And at any time those nations would go between one another, what are they doing? There's a crossroads there into the nation and through Israel. Why? Why? God wanted them to influence the nations, influence the world. And later as Rome comes on the scene, there's that Rome right up into the northwest of the Middle East as we would call it today. Why? And that God wants them to be the influencers into the world. And if we don't believe it just from the Old Testament, these are the words of Peter. Peter says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special, um, God's special possession that you may declare, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. You and I, we are called, right? We are called to, be, to, to declare the praises of our God that has saved us, that has changed our life. If you are a follower of Christ this morning, declare the praises of our Lord and Savior. And then finally, I want us always to be remembered, it's all by God's grace. You see, not only do we flourish under God's law, not only are we saved for God's mission but it's all by God's grace. And I always like to look at that great chapter of grace. It's the chapter of grace, Exodus chapter 20, where God gives us the Ten Commandments. Right? When you think of commandments, the first thing you think of is grace, correct? The answer to that is usually no. We don't usually think that, right? But, but look at this. This is how God continues on from chapter 19, and he goes into chapter 20, and he is about to give Moses the Ten Commandments. Here is the law that I am going to give you, Moses. This is what you are to follow, right? And those are the things that we say, law, how does that, that doesn't provide freedom, but yet, hopefully you've seen this morning, yes, there is freedom in law. We flourish under law. We flourish under doing what it is that God has called us to do. God spoke all these words. This is Moses on the mountain. There's going to be the two stone tablets. 
The finger of God is going to write on the first one that Moses is going to take down and break and throw, but God's finger is going to write it. And this is what God is saying. These are the words that I want you to say. Get this, it's important because he wants them to know. Okay, let me get the first list of the rules, all right? It's uh, fear God, all right? Yep, keep his command, yep, all right. Um, Honor God first, refuse to reduce. We're working right through this list. But before God says any of that, what does he say? I am the Lord, your God. Wait, 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 wait. Just a handful of months ago, we were slaves in Egypt where they worshiped hundreds of gods. What do you mean you are the Lord, our God? We haven't even done anything yet. As a matter of fact, if you look back at our resume, what were we good at? We were good at being slaves in Egypt. We were pretty good at crossing a sea once you, depart, once you separate it. Um, and we've been pretty good at complaining when we didn't get our way on things like that. Any of us in here? Is that any of us? We're pretty good at some of those things, right? God says, no, no, no. Before any of that, I want you to know, I am the Lord your God. Wait, we, we don't have to do the Ten Commandments? No, I'm the Lord your God before I've even given them to you. You can't do them because I haven't given them to you yet. But I want you to know that I am the Lord your God. And now I'm going to give these to you. I don't give rules and laws to other people's children, right? I don't walk down the street and look at the other, whoa, 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 this, the neighbor across the street and tell him how he, oh, you're not allowed to dress like, oh, you're not allowed, well, you're not allowed to, oh, you got to be home by midnight, don't forget that, right? Tell my neighbor's kid, don't be, forget, you got to be home. We don't give laws to things that aren't ours. God gave the Ten Commandments because they were his. Those were his people, his chosen people. And before they ever did anything, he says, I am the Lord, your God. That's significant to you and I. Because sometimes we get in this rut of thinking that I need to do, do, do. And God says, it's not about do, do, do. It's about done. While we were still sinners. Guess what? That means while I was far from God. For each one of us here, that means 2,000 years before we were born, while we were still sinners, all right, before we were thought of, before I turned my eyes and said, God, I want to follow you, while I was still a sinner, Paul tells us Christ died for you. See, we are his, not because of what we do, but rather because of what God did did. And that should affect our daily lives. My sister sent me a uh, devotional this week by Paul David Tripp. Um, Paul Tripp is one of my, he's, he's one of my favorite individuals. It's a, it's a pastor and a, and a seminary teacher, was a seminary teacher for a number of years as well. But, uh, but an author today, uh, well, for 20, 30 years, he's been an author as well. But his words were, for some of us, we get up and try to be a better me. As a matter of fact, let me go get a self-help book or let me listen to a self-help podcast. And I think maybe if I'm just a better me, that'll make me more Christian. But what we need to realize in life is that me being a better me is not the solution. 
but rather me falling on the grace of God, falling into the grace of God. Why? Because I am broken, because I have a sin issue, that Christ is bringing me back together as a new creation, right? And he has put me together as a new creation, but I've got this sin bent within me. And it's not just about me being a better me, me getting up today and being a better person today. It's about me falling on the grace of God and saying, God, thank you. Thank you for doing for me what I could never do. I am the Lord your God. Before you ever did anything, he said to his nation of Israel, to the nation of Israel, to the children of Israel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you were a follower of Christ, that is what we strive to do each day, just rest in the grace of our God, knowing that he has done what we could never do. And if you are someone who is still wondering about this God, that is where we hope that you will come, that you will realize that you are called by God, that we have a Savior that died while you were still a sinner, and you will put your trust in him. The book of Exodus, the story of us, the story of humans. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time this morning, I say thank you for each one that is here Lord, thank you for your blessings. God, we say thank you as we come to this time of the year where we give thanks for all that you have done. And through this message, we are reminded that we have a God who did for us what we couldn't do. God, the process of just being a better me is not enough. But rather, I need a Savior who stepped in and died for me while I was still a sinner. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts and minds of each one that is here. For those of us that are followers of Christ, would you help each one of us to realize that it is the grace of God working in us to do what little good we can do through your name. And Lord, for those that are still away from God, that are still wondering, would you work in their hearts to draw them unto yourself or that they may celebrate that there is a God that has called them and it's not based on what they do, but rather on who he is. We say thank you. And Lord, I pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you would go with us and that you would do abundantly more than we ask or imagine in this church, in our world, in these individuals. Bless and encourage them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing one more.